Hello and welcome to this week's Deep Bomb Time Podcast with Laurent. Mike is still on assignment dealing with his beautiful young Abigail and his wife Jessica. Fantastic stuff from them. They're doing well. First things first is October 25th. In this episode, we'll be talking about the past match week that just ended over the weekend. Looking forward to the Champions League games that are going on right now and review any stuff we think is fun. But first, let us go to the scores. Here we go. Premier League scores from match week 13. And the first game of the week was Liverpool. Nil. Nottingham Forest won. Uh, City ground bouncing. Um, Liverpool, Liverpooling. Klopp sent out a reduced lineup, and they just never got off the schneid. Sad stuff for them. Uh, I would say this was a must-must win for Liverpool, and they dropped points in a very, very poor display. Poor Manny and Dimas and the rest of the Liverpool fans in the group just dead inside, hoping something good would happen, but nothing good happened. Anwobi, uh, I pronounced it wrong, scratched one in, and they went up. Liverpool, after beating, after having a good midweek, after beating City, dropped points to Nottingham Forest, which kind of makes the, the City win not really matter in the greater scheme of things. It's good they took points off City, but in the long run, they're back where they were. They would have much rather fucking lost to City and beat Nottingham Forest than at least they could be where they're supposed to be. Anyway, the rest of the game. Saturday, Everton 3, Crystal Palace nil. Wow, Frank Lampard doing well. I'm worried for Vieira. I don't know what happened there. I kind of figured at home Everton would be good. Dominic Calvert-Lewis getting off the schneid. And Crystal Palace still not finding that balance. A little bit of a weird one. City defeat my beloved Brighton. Deserby still doesn't have a win. He has two draws. Uh, Holland scored two more goals. This game looked like it was easy. It was not easy. City did not play well. The first half was boring and City-ish. And Holland scored the goal on a ball, just direct line over the top, and put this game to bed pretty quickly. Uh, Trossard pulled one back for Brighton. I thought Brighton were okay in this game. City scored three but weren't dominant. But they win easily at home. They get one from a penalty. I hate penalties. I hate VAR. The big game on Saturday. Chelsea won. Man United won. All the action coming from the 86th minute on. But this was a tactical class in two nerdy guys really taking their teams, battling through and trying to find a way. Potter made the first change. He had three at the back. Had to pull off Cucurella, who they were really having a hard time with United. United played well, put together. Back-to-back, really good performances after defeating Spurs. Man United are on their way. Man United are on their way. Ten Hag stuff is getting through. All of the narrative was around Cristiano this, walking off the bench, blah, blah, blah. I don't fucking care about that. United are here. United are here. Uh, Graham Potter still undefeated, but it still hasn't gotten Chelsea firing. Leicester, four, Wolves, nil. We told you Wolves were terrible. We told you Wolves were terrible, and here they are. Wolves are terrible. They have no manager. Uh, Leicester City scored four goals in their first four shots, and it looks like the great and powerful um, Rodgers has them moving in. 
Yuri Telemans was great. Incredible goal. Harvey Barnes, also a good one. Madison scored again. And then the venerable Jamie Vardy gets his first goal of the season. He has 100 goals after turning 30. Wow. Good job for Jamie Vardy and for all us over 30-year-olds. Is there one for over 45-year-olds? I don't know. Then, the shock result of the weekend Sunday. Villa 4, Brentford nil. Oh, my God. Aston Villa just basically pulled their dicks out and shake them at Steven Gerrard to go, we hated you, you sucked, and we didn't want to play for you. The interim coach comes in, goes to a 4-2-3-1, uh, getting all the guys in that everyone always wanted. Buendia, Watkins, Bailey, and Ings all playing together with Buendia as the 10. Fuck you, Coutinho, you're a loser. Everyone has known it. That's why you've been bounced around for four years after you funded the Liverpool squad that won the league. It was on your transfer. The back line was there. Great stuff from Villa. They scored three goals in 15 minutes and end up winning and getting one more from Ali Watkins in the 59th. The, our beloved Brentford, not good in this one. Uh, Thomas Frank had to really lick his wounds and be like, we were bad and got our fucking asses kicked. And they did. Uh, but Villa off the schneid. And we'll talk about it in a minute. They hire, good evening, Unai Emery. Can't believe it. So fast. Very wild. Arsenal dropped points. Wow. 1-1 against uh, Southampton. They were dominant in this game, Arsenal. They look like Arsenal being Arsenal. They have that very city quality. They've got to get their goals. And if they don't, Southampton are tough. They grew into the game. They got a goal from Armstrong. And they sat on it. The goal from Shaka was fantastic. Good stuff for Arsenal. But these are the games. This is how Arsenal is going to not win the league. They're going to be have more and more games like this. They may not lose games, and they may have good performances, but Gabriel Jesus is turning back into City Gabriel Jesus, where he gets chances and doesn't finish them. Yowzy, yowzy. The Fulham revival continues. They smash Leeds 3-2. This wasn't as close as it looked. Um, Leeds went up first early from Rodrigo, but then three goals unanswered by Mitrovic, Bobby Reed, and Willian. Fulham fully deserved on this one. Leeds sputtering, Jesse Marsh in trouble. They want him sacked in the morning. He does not cut a good figure. I think he's a little too emotional. He's wearing it on his sleeves. So USA Leeds, Leeds United States of Leeds is uh, is in trouble. Uh, they can't seem to score goals. Bamford's not firing. They can't hold on to Leeds. They're a little bit all over the place. But I think we kind of knew this. They lose Rafinha. They lose um, Phillips. Replace them with... Aronson and Adams, they're not better, and that team almost went down. The defense is still terrible. So Leeds are in trouble. Jesse Marsh is in trouble. He's the next one on the schneid after uh, Gerard went. Then last Sunday, late Sunday, Aston Villa just beat Spurs again. Spurs sputtering. Uh, the, this is the Newcastle revival. Eddie Howe getting a lot of love. Newcastle, a really strong attacking force. Almiron with another. Callum Wilson with a controversial, but not really controversial, goal on 31. Kane pulled one back at 54. But Spurs never really challenged in this, and I thought, you know, Newcastle really had this game in hand. And yesterday, West Ham beat Bournemouth 2-0. I didn't watch it. Ben Rama was in it. Uh, Zuma scored a goal. Another controversial hand goal, handball kind of thing. But, you know, uh, West Ham were dominant and probably should have had more. But they, they're getting their stuff together. They took 
I want to see. I want to see. I think I saw what I saw. 20 shots to Bournemouth's only five. So a dominant performance from West Ham at home, as you would expect. That's the scores. Wow. Okay. First game we've got to go to. It was a lot of low-scoring games, but let's go through our friends in the top four and go into more detail for each one. I think I gave a little bit of detail on Nottingham Forest versus Liverpool. This was another performance of insipid nature from Liverpool. They tried to rest players. I know Klopp is trying to work things through. So Jones comes in, Harvey Elliott, Carvalho. So a lot of different players. Milner back in for for TAA after the great sub performance and defensive solidity he gives them. Gomez was there, but these were this was a game of mistakes. Van Dyke had at least three headers, at least two. He tried to pass one, was was logical. One he missed. Uh, Dean Henderson was a fantastic in goal, along with his cap. Very weird to see a goalkeeper wearing a cap. But I think my guy, Steve Cooper, which I called I called him Steve something else in the last episode. Apologies to Steve Cooper, the ugliest manager in uh, the Premier League. He seems to be getting the team together. He's mixing in some of his old boys with his new. We've got Yates in the side, who was great. Lingard played finally. Aurier solidified one side of their defense. But it seems like Cook and McKenna are the two that are staying in central defense along with Henderson. Listen, you've to, to stay up in this league, you need luck, especially if you were promoted. Liverpool created enough chances, I think, to probably have at least gotten a draw. But at home, the city ground, this is a historical rivalry for people who don't know. Nottingham Forest in the 70s was a big club. And uh, their famous manager, uh, Clough, Brian Clough, kept them in the Premier League for the first five or six years. This is a historical club. And Liverpool and Forest have had historical battles. And so it was great to see these. And these fans have been waiting years to have this game. This Liverpool-Forest game was always going to be a tough game. But I think the boys from Anfield got out Anfielded. Uh, The city ground was as powerful, as loud, as intense as what Anfield can be when you go play there. So they couldn't raise their game to match um, Forrest. And I think what happens in the Premier League is you've got to earn the right to win. You've got to fight fire with fire. When you go and you play Nottingham Forest in their patch, You've got to take their crowd out. You've got to get stuck in. You've got to not make mistakes. You can't give them anything because that team is going to cheer for every moment, every header, every one, every throw in one, every tackle. They are going to be on your back. And I don't think Liverpool ever really managed a crowd. And I think the emotional hangover of how much pressure they're under or sort of the acknowledgement that, hey, we're not going to win the league this year. Maybe it got to them. Maybe they weren't there. Uh, Henderson was good. Again, Van Dyke made a several questionable decisions but again they're not synced they're not clicking they're not there uh the the depth that we thought they had is gone already no jota or he's already hurt he's out till after the world cup so some of the things that they had up front that we sort of hoped for nunez didn't play weren't there so kind of a tough performance for liverpool i know manny and dimas and uh, and the gang, uh, you know, for the Liverpool crew from the WhatsApp group, please let us know if you want to be in the WhatsApp group. Uh, please let us know. Sub- link subscribe. 
give us a shout in the chat. We'll put you in. But we talked about it. And, you know, there was just like this sort of sad, insipid kind of hurt and failure within Liverpool, a resigned feeling that I got up at four in the morning for the West Coast fans here. And I still got that in my face, which kind of sucked. Uh, really bu- brutal, hurtful kind there. And um, at least when there was no controversial calls like there were uh, later on during the week. Uh, the next game to go to, um, I want to give a little talk on on Everton. But we'll stay with the other side of Merseyside. Everton are actually really good, especially at home. I thought this was a key performance for them. Midfield is really strong for them. Uh, I think these are players that the reason why you should look at some of these teams, and, and if you're not someone who watches other teams often, I watch every game. I try and stay along with the whole narrative. That's why you listen to this podcast, because I watch the fucking games, and you guys don't. <laughs> or you can't watch all of them because, you know, I'm unemployed. But the key thing here for the Everton team is Gay, Adrika Gay, Onana, Cody, Tarkovsky. That foursome in the middle, that core of their defense, they just don't let shit through. This Everton team is defending well. Early in the season when they were fighting through injuries, Pickford carried them, especially in that Liverpool game. But they got results based on strength. The Tarkovsky-Cody thing cannot be uh, laid away. Tarkovsky, if you don't know who he is, he was the primary captain and defender at Burnley. He and me held that team in the league for years, and they finally just ran out of gas and got some bad luck, and that team went down. He was a free agent, and they let him go. Cody, on the other hand, was the middle of a back three. He's from Liverpool as an Everton fan. Middle of a back three for Wolves that Nuno had put together. Cody is a leader. Tarkovsky is a leader. These guys bring that Englishness, that fight, that I've been through hell. I'm not that good. These are the Carragers. These are the Lewis Dunks. These are the Tony Adams. These are guys that are needed, necessary fighters that don't get into big six sides because these type of players, they're not considered elegant enough. They're not considered good enough ball, hoof. They're slow. They're plotting. But these are the backbones of Premier League teams. Cody, Tarkovsky, um, Tyrone Mings to a lesser extent. Uh, Lewis Dunk, these guys, uh, Steve Cook, we just saw on Nottingham Forest. These guys are the core of the English heartbeat that make the Premier League the Premier League. It's these players, these very English, very Northern, very up for the fight players that I think every single fucking team needs these players. And they don't have to be English. For City, it was Vincent Company. Then it was Fernandinho. These guys that bring fight, heart, spirit, War ethic. I think. Um, I think now for, for, for Arsenal. I think it's it's Gabriel who's the fighter and a little bit of of Shaka. You need this the heart part and and it, and it shifts. You can become it and move away from it. But I like to talk about it and I like to identify these players. These are players you absolutely have to have. And Everton are showing that they have it now. Is is Frank a great manager? No, but this team plays on emotion and wins. A really good performance again. It will be. I can't talk enough about Awobi. Weird fucking player. He, I think, I, I, I'm not going to say it any other way. He's racially profiled. We don't see players of African descent as number 10s. They just don't exist. They're either wingers or strikers or, or central defenders. 
they're never thought of as a playmaker who stitches things together. And Iwobi is that. He's he's an Odegaard. He 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 charges around. He makes touches. He make he makes the pass before the pass. And Iwobi's been great. Whenever you watch Everton, keep an eye on Iwobi and Onana. I really am now falling in love with Everton a little bit. Maybe they will take some of the um maybe they'll take some of the shine off of off of Bar- Brighton. And then for 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 Crystal Palace they're still there, but they just made mistakes in this one. I never like when Milivoy just is playing. Their balance is all off. They try to go to a 4-1-4-1, you know, trying to play Zaha, Eze, Alusi, Oayu, and Edward together. It just didn't work, and they didn't. They couldn't get a foothold in the game, and they just got beat. They tried to, like, overpower Everton with, with attacking flair, and they just didn't get the basics right. Again, that desire to play those hard-level players who, who hold the team together, it just didn't work, and Milivojevic was overwhelmed in that one but i'm gonna go on to city again this game was not city's best it was it was boring to be frank uh the first goal wasn't scored until holland on 22 a ball kicked over the top he knocks over (laughs) webster who i really like really good defender and you know he puts it in you know one two three no problem i think city at first had problems figuring out what what brighton were up to uh they were man marking it was tough. Deserby's a good coach. Uh, this was a tactical battle. City don't often have this. They lost the possession battle. They let Brighton have the ball. So very unusual for City not to have the ball most of the game. But they defended well. It was tactical. City won this game easily. There was a penalty that Holland took. Um, you know, And then De Bruyne finished, was the best shot of the game. Top of the box, out to the right of the D. Fires at top bins. He was free. He was open. Uh, it, the game needed Foden to come on. I think, you know, Mares, Mares and Grealish were kind of. They usually tend to be part of the groups that that are when City play badly. But it's just it's just timing. They don't play enough together. So, but City are fine. They keep rolling. They'll probably win the league. I think, especially now that we have we've got the loss from Arsenal. But City rolling, not really a problem. No drama. No mama. No problem. Uh, I should probably give a short trip. They are playing Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League today, but they're already through. This is just to see who wins the promo to cover the, the UEFA Champions League stuff as we run to our Champions League friends. Speaking of which, we run to two of our Champions League friends as the next game. The next big heavyweight battle of the week was um, Man United-Chelsea. First half, this game was boring. Uh, it was tough to watch, but... For the nerds out there who really want to follow along with their team, I think there's a camp of United fans and a camp of Chelsea fans who are very much looking at their team at the performance level and, hey, what are they doing? What are they up to? How are things moving around? For Chelsea, the beginning of this game was really poor. Uh, They couldn't get control of the game in the midfield. And Casemiro, Eriksen, Fernandez were really running rampant through Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek. Couldn't really get control of the game. So after 35 minutes, Potter, being Potter, admits, hey, I got this wrong. Pulls Cucurella for Kovacic to balance out the midfield. Chilwell, the whole line shifts one step over. Chalaba moves from right center back into the middle with Silva. Chilwell moves back into his left back position. And Aspelicuela goes back into the into the back. And then for the back half of the first half and the bat in the beginning of the second half. Chelsea had control again. Things got a little bit tasty and weird. But this game was all tactical. And then I think at some point in the middle of the second half, they both teams are kind of like, you know what? 
I'm going to take this nil-nil. It's going to be fine. No big deal. Then, late in the game, uh, penalty to... I can't remember the exact way the penalty came about, but that doesn't matter. Penalty t- on 87. Jorginho takes it. He does his hop skip. No problem. Chelsea look like they're going to win this game. But Casemiro bringing that Real Madrid, heart of the champion, you know, on the road. Man United pick it up. There's not a lot of attackers on the field because both teams kind of pulled their attackers. Sterling, Aubameyang, Rashford, Erickson, and Sancho had all come off um, for Fred, Lindelof, Alanga, and McTominay. So United were not really in a attacking mode, but they get the corner. There's a free kick. Casemiro loops a header in, and and um, Kepa can't really keep it out. It's it's looping. It almost stays out. Goal line technology gives them the goal, and the draw comes in. This is a big result for United. They keep their momentum. It's a shame for Potter. They they probably on balance felt like they probably could have lost. I think United definitely played better in this game than Chelsea. This was a good performance. And both teams can feel good about where they are. United, progress, a lot of good work. I can't say enough about Lissandro Martinez. I really love him. He's a fantastic player. There is a, a little bit of worry, though. Varane did his his bicep and his thigh and he fell down right on his face, no contact crying. Cause he's probably going to miss the world cup, but scary for him. But I think, you know, I don't think we'll see uh Maguire, but we will see Lindelof. So they'll be undersized in defense and hopefully United are starting to pick things up. They're starting to play, especially Casemiro making good plays. You can see the value of this number six, this, this holding mid who can take a ball under pressure, turn it and move it. That transition from defense to attack into Fernandez or into Erickson is huge for United. Now I think, weirdly, they're, in a, they're a striker away from being really good because it's not Rashford. Uh, we know about Martial getting hurt again, and we know about Re- Cristiano just not providing enough energy off the ball anymore. He just can't, never has, never will, never can. So he's not going to. Um, and he's he'll probably leave the club soon, or or uh, you know Ten Hag is trying to fight him on side, whatever. I think it's interesting to stop and talk about not Cristiano specifically, but the winner's mentality, especially as it pertains to these sort of fading superstars that have to go. I put Cristiano in the same boat as Kobe, in the same boat as as Jordan in the same boat as your Tom Brady's, these kind of maniacal winner. Um, uh, Russell Westbrook is going through it right now in the NBA. Um, you know, they they just can't seem to let it go. Uh, uh, Roy Keane is like this, this maniacal need to be on the field, doing their best, winning games, yelling at teammates, fighting to the death. That this is not, it's 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 life or death. Their performance, their playing, the way they want to do it is life or death to them. And they don't care about the team. They oh, Sorry, they care about the team, but they can't in the moment, right? It comes off as this selfish, terrible, self-team uh, destructive behavior. And, uh, and, it, and it has, all those players have driven themselves to greatness by that mentality. But when their energy starts to fade, when they stop being who they were, it becomes a detriment to the team they're on. 
And so I think for Cristiano, he either leaves or becomes a bench player. And I just can't see him becoming a bench player. He literally refused to come on. And that's why he was suspended for this game. And I thought for a moment there that Cristiano could have done something if he was in this game because he does, especially in those finishing moments that Casemiro did eventually get the goal, he could have been that guy. But there's a mentality of that people have, this maniacal desire to win and that they can control it. It's their talent that gets them there. When the talent fades, the mentality doesn't. Uh, and it's hard for these superhuman athletes, superhuman winners to change. And it can come off as a terrible, uh, selfish behavior. But I think but I think fundamentally they believe that their selfish behavior is what got their teams to win. So that's where Cristiano is right now. We should be grateful that we that it that we had it at all, right? That he came back at all. So that's that game. I think I just drank rotten coffee. That was awful. But I forgot to get some water. So uh, that's where I'm at for that one. Um, we carry on into the next big game. Let's touch on Arsenal. Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. Where are we with this team? I think, you know, they're, they're stretching. It's not a deep squad. Um, going down to Southampton, I know any gooner will tell you, is not easy. It never is. It never has been easy for Arsenal. Uh, when you go and look at these games historically, Southampton will take points from Arsenal on occasion. And this is another one of those moments where, you know, they were able to do so because Southampton is well-coached. While the talent on the team is young, it is talent, right? It is talent. And so... Southampton were allowed to stay in this game. And by letting them stay in the game, Arsenal didn't put them away. And so by not putting them away and scoring those second goals, um, they just weren't didn't have a chance to put them away. Now, was there a penalty shout? Sure. There's a penalty shout in every game. I'm kind of... I'm just tired of these kind of things... Let's see, Arsenal's last five. Eh, Southampton have won a couple here and there. It's always a tough game. Anyway, lots of draws um, historically. There was a penalty shout on Jesus. He got pulled back on a little bit of a bear hug while he was running. A couple elbows here and there. Uh, you know, regular stuff that happens in the Premier League that when you don't win a game that you're expecting to win, you look for why you didn't win. And invariably, that goes down to refereeing. Invariably, it goes down to VAR and whatever. I think, um, and that's really what happened here. You know, um, Jesus had a couple of chances early that he didn't put away. Uh, Odegaard had one. Um, Martinelli, Saka, Jesus again had another double. And then in the second half, they didn't really get anything off the Schneid. Uh, and Kedia had one late, but really this was the second half really slowed down for Arsenal and um, Southampton were able to harry them and harass them and put them away. They looked leggy after playing the Sunday, Thursday, always tough, especially without the depth yet. I don't think that Arsenal squad is quite there yet. There's not people to pull people out for. Jesus is starting to miss those chances that he used to miss at city. Um, you know, they just didn't have the extra gear 
to sort of find a way to win that that you need. And this is a normal draw. It's not the end of the world. But, you know, going to Southampton and not getting a win is tough. So Arsenal start to feel the tests, start to feel that energy, that pull down. Can they be ready for the run-in? Can they pick themselves back up? You know, they've still got to do Europa League games. They are going to face um, Arsenal this weekend. I think they go late. I don't know. I have to figure it out for the next week. But, you know, it starts getting tougher when the when the target is on your back. I don't think Arsenal have to feel shitty about this or whatever, but it is where they are right now. Arsenal play Nottingham Forest at home. They can feel good about that one, uh, but you never know. Um, I do want to get into some of the things that go on with refereeing. There was a couple of decisions. There's tons of decisions every week in every game. Everyone feels their team's hard done. There's VAR. There's VAR this. Is it a handball? Is it not a handball? This is happening every week, just nonstop. Uh, it happened in the West Ham Bournemouth game really bad. Uh, you know, one one allowed a goal, one had a goal disallowed, both handball, both inexplicable <laughs> in both senses. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, and so the big one for um, the big one there is, is it handball? When do we use it? What I'm trying to drive at is, when your team loses or has a result they don't like, you're just going to reach to the referee because so much of football is luck. And I don't think these referees are out to get our teams. I don't think they're trying to destroy us. I don't think any of them are biased. I think that there's a normal bias when teams are at home and it's loud and those referees are human. I think that they do react to the sound and they use the crowd and they do use how players react. So the more a player reacts, the more likely they are to call. If you do raise, everyone raises their hand all at once and surrounds the ref, there's no way that it will not um, influence them to call a handball. There are a lot of things that happen that can influence a ref. Um, you know, I think in the Everton game, there was an offside goal that they completely missed and they got it right in the end, you know, through VAR. Uh, there was the ball on the line in the in the in the Chelsea game. Goal line technology saved the day. It was immediate and fixed it. So there's a lot of things like that that happen in every game. We've created the sport that we love that has very few goals, and those goals completely change results of games. So every decision that can lead to a goal is magnified times a hundred, no matter what we do. By the nature of football, by the nature of the fact that a goal is everything. You know, there's 2.5 goals per game, I think. That is going to mean that those decisions are massive. And that human, that arbiter who's in the middle of the pitch is always going to have an outsized influence on every game. And we cannot expect them to be perfect. I think we have to try and not get into arguments about who's whose referee is against who and this guy hates us and that guy loathes us and ba 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 calls go against you you get calls it happens it's normal i hate var i don't want it because i've come to accept in my old age that um football is entertainment sports are entertainment it doesn't mean anything what do we want 
We want it to go quickly. We want it to be flowing. We don't want to have conversations about these things. I'd much rather the guy miss a handball and they keep playing than stopping and staring and figuring out whether the the, the fucking fingernail the guy touched the ball or whether this chicken arm moves back and forth makes it work because I just it who cares? Why does this matter that much? It matters, sure, but either way, you're just going to be pissed off anyway, especially if it's subjective like handball. Who the fuck knows? Here's my rule. If you go to the monitor and in 20 seconds, sorry, if the VAR can't tell in 30 seconds whether it's checked, whether it's the right call, the monitors go off. They literally have to can only rewind in full speed for 20 seconds, and if they can't see a problem, they can't change it. That's it. If you have to rewind five times, then don't call it. Make VAR checks no longer than 30 seconds. That's my rule, period. If it's longer than 30 seconds, the ruling on the field stands. And just keep moving because the thing that I love about football is that it moves. And if we don't do that, we're going to lose the movement and you're going to lose everything that I love about this game. Anyway, that's my rant in the middle of that after the Southampton game. Um, I want to go to some other games. There's two four nils on either end. Leicester's four nil that I talked about and Aston Villa's. Aston Villa's is more about the reaction. Did the players quit on Gerard and did they feel alive by not having Gerard? Um, it seems that they've made their choice and good evening. We return Unai Emery to the Premier League. Uh, fresh off of a Europa League win. He's won the Europa League four times. <sighs> Manny, I don't agree with you. You seem to think he's a nothing manager. The guy won four European trophies. He's managed 900 games. This is a real brand name manager. Did he have a hard time uh, at Arsenal at first? Sure. But they won 20 games his first season, finishing in fifth, faded down the stretch. They had a streak of 20 unbeaten, 10 in a row in the league. So he is good. Um, did it fade in the second half under that team and they had to bring in Arteta? Yeah, I think that there was some he's not Arsenal things that went on, a very Rafa Benitez type thing. But I thought he was good enough. He's a defensive coach. He tends to work better with within the context of sort of underdog spirit that he had at Villarreal and Sevilla. But he developed players. He has a way of playing. He can definitely set up to beat a team in a knockout tournament. I think he has that skill down. Whether he can manage and win a league in a campaign, he did lose a league title to Monaco, I believe, uh, in in the in the League One. But he did win a lots of trophies in League One. So he may have lost the league once, but he won both both seasons he was there. He won the league twice. He won the the, the all the cups that he could win with PSG. And then he had problems with Neymar. Who doesn't fucking have problems with Neymar? Neymar is a pain in the ass. So uh, I, I'm, I think this is a big get for Aston Villa. The only question I have is, you know, will he find the right balance? Is he going to find the players? Is he going to try and go back to the Bailey, Ings, Watkins, uh, Buendia thing? I think he he can. He had Eva Banega uh, at Sevilla, and he, he played awesome for him. Um, and Coque and all these sort of good Spanish tidy footballers that Buendia is like. I think he'll like Buendia. Uh, I'm not sure what it means for Coutinho. Coutinho was definitely Gerard's man, um, but he's not good anymore. He seems to take too many touches, is always ponderous on the ball, and doesn't really do what you need him to do. So 
I'm excited. I, I, I want there to be the best managers in the premier league. Like, you know, all that's needed, all that's left now is like, if, if, uh, if Ancelotti came back to the premier league and, and Tuchel find a team, you know, we'd have them all, but I don't know if there's enough teams. Hey, does Tuchel want to take Leeds United? <laughs> Cause they're next. Um, and then Leicester, of course, they beat Wolves. I just wanted to sort of give some some juice to Brendan Rodgers. He that team seems to be getting itself back together. Is way too talented to to be in trouble, and they have now picked up five points out of their last three games. So they um, they they've won two in a row, and they're out of the bottom three after having a really rough spell, uh, being unable to defend. But they, they, they score way too much to be in the bottom three. Like they've scored 21 goals, which would put them one goal behind, which 21 goals, which is more than United Ch- and Chelsea and Newcastle have scored. So, I mean, Leicester's scoring isn't the problem. It's that they can't defend. But uh, Fice, Fice has, has found a way. They're getting there. What they need to do in the transfer window, they need a goalkeeper. I mean, if they got a good goalkeeper, I think they could be completely transformed. I would go for Ariola. I think uh, he's he's a backup. Uh, he's a backup. Where is Ariola a backup? A backup at West Ham. He was really good for Fulham. And I think, um, just looking, Alfonso Ariola. Yeah, he was a back. He's had a France cap. He's a really good keeper, and he's sitting on the bench. If he could get grabbed by off of uh, West Ham. That would be an incredible get. Um, he's a really good keeper, and I would he you know he was at Real at PSG, just just a fantastic keeper that I think if if Leicester had, they'd be gold. I'm sure he's biding his time because he's still well. He's 29. Maybe he's not so young. Maybe he's waiting for Fabianski to leave, but or falter. But that's a good spot for him, uh, and I'd hope that he go there. So Leicester moving on. We've got teams in, in decent shape right now. And then we go on to Fulham Leeds. Again, I don't have really too much to say more about it. Just that Jesse Marsh is just in trouble. Uh, I don't know who the next managers are going to be of Leeds. He seems to be on thin ice. He has the backing of the board. They've really followed along with him for a long time. But I think what's happened with Marsh at Leeds is the shadow of Bielsa is massive. They have a very passionate fan base. And he's losing the fans. And when you lose the fans at a club like Leeds, you're done. And so he's got to get a win. This Fulham game was a game he needed to win. Uh, the draw versus uh, Newcastle versus Nottingham Forest didn't help him. I mean, there's games you've got to win when you're Leeds. And you have to find a way to get those games done because, you know, it, it's going to get worse for him before it gets better because he's got Liverpool next. He's got City He's got Tottenham, and the only winnable game he's got is probably Bournemouth uh, on November 5th. So next game is Liverpool at Anfield. That's just brutal. Uh, I think the Leicester game probably hurt him. He probably needed that one. He needed that Fulham game to get something from. Like I, it's okay to it's okay to to draw here and there, but there are teams that you have to beat, and uh, not being able to beat, you know. Southampton early in the season uh, really hurt him. He does have that win against Chelsea when Tuchel was there, but that's not enough. He needs to get wins off the shitty teams. 
So hopefully we keep him. Otherwise, he's going to go. We'll see Marsh get fired soon. And if Leeds are smart, they will actually have someone lined up already because that's how, that's the nature of this league. If you don't have things together, you're fucked. <laughs> um, so we've got a couple more things that I want to touch on. Um, yeah. Got to go to Newcastle Tottenham. I can't believe I forgot about this one. Didn't really jump too far ahead. I was looking at other stuff. This is a problem for Conte. This is a Conte problem. I think I talked about it in the last episode, but Spurs play like a lower level away side. They're always defending deep. They're hoping that you make a mistake and they can get the ball into Kane and Son and move. Um, and, and create space. One of the things that I learned uh, in, in watching the game and, and then the analysis afterwards was Newcastle were really smart. They only pressed when the ball came out of defense and into the midfield because had they pressed further up, then there's space for Kane and Son to move. And yet once you get through the midfield, then they're free. So they did a, a sort of midfield press only and allowed Spurs to have the ball at the back. And so the spaces that Son and Kane usually get just weren't there. And so they really could never get that much offense going. Uh, granted, Spurs were missing Hoiberg and Skip had to play and, and uh, Ramirez, Romero wasn't there, who's there sort of, you know, when Sanchez comes in, he's just really bad. And the squad just doesn't have depth. Uh, we're seeing it. Kulishevsky's been out for a long time. He provides another level of creativity instead of just Kane dropping and spinning. So they're, they're, they're having a hard time for a team that's in third in the league. This is the most dour I've seen that crowds already turning on Conte in some sense, but that's because of the way they play. It's just this negative style that Conte can't seem to get out of. And then the other thing is when things don't go Conte's way, he has a dour kind of, Oh, woe is us. We're fucked. We're going to lose. There's, there's just a lack of optimism that I think is unfair because this is, you know, two weeks ago, this was the best Spurs start in history. And now it's kind of going south really quickly after the Arsenal loss, after the United, the Arsenal United, and then um, Newcastle. Now, are Newcastle really good? Yeah, they're in the top four. Callum Wilson's really good. Um, again, there was a, a questionable... Hugo Lloris has this problem once in a while. The goal he gave up to Wilson... A great goal by Wilson, but he came out of his box, ran into Wilson, lost the ball. Wilson picked it up and popped it in from forty yards, from thirty-five yards out. Uh, Loris thought he could draw a foul, but it wasn't a foul. <laughs> it just simply wasn't. Uh, as much as he wanted it to be, they tried to will it into existence, but there simply was no foul. And so, you know, Spurs slip. Uh, Longley is not an answer. Almiron just went past him like he was a passing cone or a passing mannequin. He just couldn't move, and Almiron just slotted it home. Almiron, all of a sudden, an incredible player, really goes to show what good coaching can do. Uh, Almiron, for five years, was a bum, to the point that Jack Grealish makes fun of people by calling them Almiron, and now Almiron has got more goals than Grealish has had in his two seasons at City. So maybe Grealish, shut the fuck up, uh, and, and just play your own game, and don't make fun of players on other teams, because you don't know when the context can change and all of a sudden a player takes over because Almiron's now further up the pitch. He doesn't have to run 60 yards and make and take on 35 yard passes because he's on his own 
trying to run with St. Maximin halfway across the field. So it makes your finishing easier when you're not winded having run half the field. So Amaron playing the way he did with Atlanta. If you remember in MLS, when Atlanta United won the league with Joseph Martinez and Amaron, Amaron was all over the place. He was fantastic. Uh, and Tata Martinez had that team playing really well. So this version of Almiron is really good. And now with 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 Eddie Howe, who's just done wonders with the team. It's fantastic. So it's a real top seven now uh, with Newcastle, who are a force to be dealt with. And the non-super destroyer teams, the teams that are kind of struggling, not struggling, but your Arsenal and Tottenham, who are the second class of the super tier, you know, the kind of where Liverpool were for most of the 30 years of the Premier League, they have another person they have to deal with and look over their shoulder and go, God, fuck, Newcastle's there. Uh, Arsenal have sort of gone to the next hurdle, but Tottenham haven't been able to kick on and be stuck there. It's super competitive. It's seven teams for four spots that they all want, and it's not easy. There's only one team that's really head and shoulders above them, and that's City. Granted, you know, we have a sovereign wealth fund, but that's where that is. <laughs> uh, I would be unfair if I didn't have a give the last 15 minutes to sort of chat about uh, where we are with the Champions League. Um, you know, I don't think I missed any games. West Ham get their, their win against Bournemouth. We kind of talked about everything really in depth, went through some things, talked about, you know, refereeing decisions, how that's not fun to talk about. Uh, Unai Emery taking over for Villa. Leicester getting back off the schneid, Arsenal having to react, City doing their Holland thing, and Liverpool losing an opportunity against Forest. Really liked what happened with Everton there. Chelsea and Man United do their tactical dance class. Really fun for the nerds, but not fun to watch. And then we are on death watch for Jesse Marsh at Leeds United and trying to find out who the next manager could be. Maybe it'll be Sean Dyche. I don't know. Okay, let us go to the Champions League where games are in progress. <laughs> but um, just want to get a sense of where we are uh, in terms of who needs to qualify. Liverpool, in Group A, Napoli and Liverpool are through, so their games don't really matter. Club Brugge and Porto lead their group, but it's still in the balance. Brugge are through, which is a big deal. Bayern are through. Inter likely through. They need Victoria Ple- uh, Barcelona are in trouble. They need Victoria Pleasant, who are on zero, with a minus 13 to defeat Inter. That's not going to happen. Spurs have to really play. They are in a tough group with both Sporting and Marseille, so their group still has a lot to battle for. Chelsea are currently in action against Salzburg. I believe they're through on 10. They look nailed on to get through. Uh, uh, um, Real Madrid are through. Uh, City are through. They play Dortmund today for the top of the group, and PSG and Benfica. There's really only one group up for grabs, and that's Group D and a, and a couple spots here and there. So this final match week is usually a bit of a, of a ho-hum, drab game, just to give you a sense of what games are going on. Chelsea did indeed defeat Salzburg 2-1, so they're definitely nailed on for three. Uh, Havertz and Mateo Kovacic with the goals there. Um, Red, B, uh, Red Bull Leipzig play Real Madrid. Less interesting to me. Let me see what the rest of the schedule is uh, today and tomorrow. The big one will be Inter versus Victoria Plaisen. 
Barcelona play Bayern. Barcelona must defeat Bayern. Nothing can happen if they don't defeat Bayern. They have to defeat Bayern. If they lose to Bayern, they're done. And then Ajax, Liverpool, always a fun game. The big game tomorrow will be Tottenham versus Sporting. Tottenham have to, have to win that game. That is a must, must win. If they lose that game, they're in trouble. And then there is a match week six still going. So there's still two games to go, but uh, there's less and less um, spots up for grabs as we go through this thing. Um, Champions League going on right now. Um, I'm less interested in it at this point in this in the in the process, but um, you know, just want to make sure we touch on the big games. Barcelona, Bayern must win. Tottenham versus Sporting must win. Chelsea already defeated Red Bull Salzburg, so that's big for them. Uh, City are already through. They played Dortmund today, and that's really where we are. The other interesting one is whether Atletico de Madrid can pull it together and get themselves out of the group with where Cold Brugge has already um, won, uh, but we'll see what happens there. Okay. Oh, from the land of local soccer, the San Diego Loyal, my local team in the USL, the second division of US soccer, played to a sold-out 5,000 seats at Torero Stadium at University of San Diego and lost 3-0 to the Oakland Roots and completely and totally collapsed. In the second half, they at the 75th minute, two red cards were issued to Thomas Among and Alejandro Guido with uh, Stoneman being sent off as the third red. So we finished the game down three and lose 3-0. That was our first home playoff game under Landon Donovan, and who is the GM, the sporting director, and the head coach. So that is my local soccer team. We'll probably see lots of changes. It's a good team. I enjoyed the season. We led the league in goals, but the dreaded red wedding of San Diego sports happened. Uh, I don't care. The Padres lost. Not really my thing. I think the Chargers lost. I think uh, the, the 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 wave lost the women's team with uh, uh, Casey Stoneman as the coach. They lost and and baby horse. So really bad losses all around for the San Diego sports scene. Uh, but no big deal. Okay, that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays. So be sure to like and subscribe to the show. We are members of the Chop Sports Network and of the Fan Hub Creators Network. Please link, like, subscribe, love, and we will see you on Thursday, Friday for more previews of the next Champions League. <gasps>